Imagine bold, naturally aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag. Ah, it's nice to dream about cheese for a bit. Tillamook cheddar, extraordinary dairy. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Hello. Hello. This is CBD company. I don't know if you guys use CBD. Yeah, I love CBD. Can you say something? Tess and I are setting up our recording equipment inside the Biltmore Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. The Biltmore is a historic place. They started the Oscars here back in the 1920s. And now, in 2020, we're here with Jason Alexander. Who invited us to his hotel room? So it's weird that people call me a celebrity. I just don't think of myself as a celebrity. But I mean, I was married to one, I guess. Jason is the guy who got hitched to Britney Spears in Vegas in 2004. They were married for an exciting 55 hours. Jason is in his late 30s now. And sitting here with him, you can see how he was Britney's type. He's an ex-football player. He's got some Southern charm, tattoos. He's into CBD. He even gave us some samples from his CBD company. And yeah, Tess tried some. And yeah, it was good shit. Jason's room is nice in that trying-to-be-fancy way that hotel rooms can have. There's a king bed, a flat-screen TV, and distressed mirrors. On the desk is a folder full of old photos of Jason and Brittany as kids. They grew up together in Brittany's hometown, Kentwood, Louisiana. In fact, Jason still lives there. Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. You know, I have my own business now, and um, I work construction. You know, I'm a contractor, so it's just a normal, regular life. Jason is sitting on the edge of the bed, and Tess and I are both sitting in the type of club chairs you'd find in any hotel room. My skin is kind of sticking to the chair's upholstery. LA's in the middle of a heat wave, and we're also in the middle of a COVID spike. Neither Babs nor I have been inside anywhere other than our own homes for, like, a while. But talking to Jason, it feels like a risk worth taking. Not only is he Britney's ex-husband, but from what we've gathered, he has a unique perspective on Britney's situation. And Jason actually reached out to us. He'd been following the Free Britney movement and made plans to fly out from Louisiana to L.A. for a rally at the courthouse. While he was in town, Jason agreed to meet up with us to tell his and Brittany's story on the record. I've always felt like if there was a way to help Brittany, like I would be part of it. In the annals of Brittany history, her quickie wedding to Jason marked a turning point. Miss American Dream had made her first big mistake. Brittany's label, Jive Records, said, Brittany and a friend took a joke too far. Look, the story was fascinating and funny. It was water cooler talk, nail salon gossip. It was the beginning of an era where the public expected a front row seat to every move Britney made. The marriage also created an opening for the people in Britney's orbit to swoop in and take control of her personal decisions, years before the word conservatorship would ever be uttered. So grab some Kleenex and pick out some comfy heels. Brett's getting hitched. Hey, it's her prerogative.
In Jason's stack of childhood photos, there's pics of him and Brittany in pirate costumes with the rest of their class. There's one of them in third grade or so, just after a track meet. How old were you and Brittany, do you think, when you guys first fell in love? <laughs> you seen the pictures. I don't know. It was like kindergarten. In one of the photos, a group of kids around five years old are standing in front of a school bus, Brittany and Jason's kindergarten class. The two of them stand right in the center. They're smiling, squinting, but it's not that fake camera smile kids can give sometimes. It's like we've caught them in the middle of a giggle. They're holding hands. Jason and Brittany stayed friends. Through elementary school, middle school, and Brittany's teen stardom, Jason watched it all happen from back home in Kentwood. It's weird when you're young like that because you don't, you don't really know. I mean, I guess you know what love is, but it's just a feeling. It's like a butterfly feeling and just like this obsession with this person. But when you get older, you know, you get closer. and It was always there. It was always there. It just wasn't consistent. Like, it was periodic, but consistent. You know what I mean? We kind of do know what Jason means. A lot of us have someone like this in our life where... The timing just never seemed to work out, but whenever you see them, it's like no time has passed. Not so much the one that got away, but the one that stuck around. We never were like boyfriend, girlfriend, but we always, when any opportunity she was in home in Kentwood, we seemed like we always would link up. What was it like watching her get as famous as she got? It's like someone made it, so it was hopeful for the rest of us, you know? As a football player, I'm like, wow, one of us got out of Kenwood. This is possible. On the heels of her fourth studio album, In the Zone, 22-year-old Brittany planned a trip to Vegas for New Year's. She invited some of her friends, her besties from back home, and her school bus crush, Jason. Brittany was a baller at this point. She flew everybody in on a private jet and booked a suite at the Palms Hotel. I will say, Tess and I never flown to Vegas in a private jet, never booked a suite at the Palms, but we have taken a bus to Vegas and gotten a room for six people in Hooters. Vegas is like this magic, permissive place where where time and consequences don't exist, where you're allowed to release your life's pressure valve and drink foot-long margaritas, wearing nothing but your bikini while you peruse the buffet. (laughs) I mean, if you can't tell, we love Las Vegas. I love it personally because people are just there to celebrate. You know, they're there to be happy. You meet people from all over the world and they've made this their destination to get fucked up for three days straight. You tend to bond with folks. Oh, yes. There's no last call in Vegas. There's no clocks, no windows. There's nothing telling your body that you should go home and go to bed. And if you're 22-year-old Britney Spears, you're going to be up until dawn making some very vacancy decisions. It was like five in the morning. <clears throat> We're still in bed talking. I don't know, we was just talking about the trip and the future. And uh, she wanted me to come on tour with her. And I was like, I can't. I would love to come on tour with you, but I got to go back. And I have my senior year of football. I earned a scholarship. I'm not going to just walk away. And... Uh, that was when she was like, well, I got something I got to ask you. And I'm like, what's that? And she asked, pretty much asked me if I would get married. Honestly, I really wanted to see what it was like to be married. <laughs> Here's Brittany on Entertainment Tonight, her first interview following the surprise marriage, just a few weeks after it had happened. 
Maybe that sounds silly, but in in that moment, I was just um, I was with a friend and I, that I love dearly, and I wanted to do something wild and crazy, and um, I wanted to get married. Brittany and Jason were partying, reminiscing, planning. Jason was playing college football at the time, hoping to make it to the NFL. Brittany was about to go on tour. Jason says they knew it would be hard to make a relationship work, but maybe a wedding would help. We felt like this was a way that would bond us together, regardless of how far or separated we were. We're married. You can't not let us, you know, reunite. And so, with that wholesome notion in mind, Brittany and Jason headed outside to Flamingo Road. No doubt they passed a few barefoot bachelorettes and maybe a businessman on his way to a convention. We just left on our own incognizance and didn't tell anybody. So we were like, look, we need a limousine. We're trying to go to a chapel. So they got us a car. We went to a little white wedding chapel. The limousine driver walked her down the aisle, and uh, we did the whole thing. There was another couple getting married that morning, so they recognized her, and we took a picture. Later, I found out that couple got paid like hundred grand for that picture, so I was like, what a great wedding gift for them. It is a good photo. It's Brittany and Jason and the other couple standing by the stained glass chapel doors. The other two are dressed formally. Their engagement period seems to have been a little bit longer. Brittany is wearing white, a white baseball cap, to be clear. She has on a matching choker and ripped jeans. Her black long sleeve shirt is tied up. Jason stands behind her in a black coat. He touches her waist lightly, kind of how you would in a prom photo. Their smiles seem genuine. They both look giddy. We left, consummated the marriage in the limousine on the way back to the hotel. And then when we got back to the hotel, like, hey, guess what? We're married and everybody fucking freaked out. And no one was happy. And I was like, oh, shit, this is about to get interesting. Brittany and Jason's honeymoon period lasted all of 10 minutes. I mean... That limo ride sounds like the perfect climax to a great Vegas story. But then they got back, and it all came crashing down. And then mom was called, and then Jamie was on the phone, and they're telling me everything horrible I'd ever done is going to be, you know, brought up, and that all these bad things were going to happen, and and that my football career was going to be over. Then I'm like, what are you talking about? But they were just, like, throwing all this negative, uh, you know, comments about how my life was just, I was going to ruin Britney's career. At this point, Britney's career was something a lot of people were interested in protecting. She was a brand. Sexy, but safe. Sure, she'd kissed Madonna on stage the year before, but that move had been carefully orchestrated. A quickie Vegas wedding had not been part of the plan. But the newlyweds were determined. We were going to fly to Ibiza and go on a honeymoon. She was fucking packing up. She's like, we're going. Fuck this. We're leaving. Jason started to panic. And I'm like, your mom says she's coming. I'm like, I'm scared to death now. You know, I'm like, I don't think we should run away like that, you know. And so my dumb ass, you know, talked her into staying. And then I was like swarmed by Britney Corporation, like men in black showed up 
uh, within hours and had uh, Brittany and I separated. They brought her in another room and left me in another room. Here come the men in black. Those guys who show up in suits and sunglasses. Their job is to clean up the situation. Then zap your memory so you forget it ever happened. When she came back into the room a couple hours later, an hour later, whatever it was, I knew I could tell, right? Right when she walked in the room, her face, I knew that they talked her into something. But they were making promises to me, you know. They told me if I would sign the contracts, the annulment, that they would let me and Brittany continue our relationship. And if we felt the same way in six months, they would give us a proper marriage. So I had no reason to believe otherwise. I thought that's what the truth was. This is where our minds were really blown. Everyone always talks about this whirlwind union between Brittany and Jason as a flash in the pan or a stunt. But according to Jason, the desire to stay married was real. Yes, they'd annul the marriage now, but they could have a big wedding later on. Jason says this deal was put on the table for him and Brittany in their suite at the Palms. We sat down right next to each other on the couch, and they signed, lined, they lined all the papers out in front of us, and... We both just sat there quiet and signed. (laughs) And then it was just like nothing happened. We literally, it was kind of over with. We were all in the hotel room. It was was just kind of an awkward moment. And uh, we went to dinner. Everyone went to dinner. The brother, the mom, me, Brittany, everyone that was on the trip together, the family. And at dinner, they brought me um, flight reservations to leave, and I, I left the table. And they brought me to the airport and dropped me off. Jason was on his way back to Kentwood before the waiter had even dropped the check on the table. They sent me home in a taxi and uh, left me in New Orleans without a ride when I got there. So I had to call my dad, wake him up. He had to wait an hour and a half for him to drive to the airport, pick me up from the airport, bring me home to, you know, pretty much a yard full of reporters. That's when it hit me like, oh, fuck, you know, this is a this is a big deal. The media was all over the wedding. That week, a Seattle newspaper ran the headline, Britney Spears misses at being a missus. The New York Times joked that there was no word yet as to whether Britney's blue jean wedding ensemble was designed by Vera Wang. And Us Weekly ran Britney on the cover with the headline, Surprise Bride, Britney Out of Control. Even as reporters were swarming Jason with questions, His big focus was reuniting with Brittany. He found a lawyer who explained that if he wanted to stay with Brittany, he could contest the annulment. But Jason only had 30 days to do it. They were allowing Brittany and I to still have phone communication. So we were talking every day. Um, And I still believe the story that I was told that they were going to let us continue to talk. And then we would have this marriage right in the future if we felt the same way. The lawyer helping Jason warned him not to trust Brittany's team. If he didn't contest the annulment, it would stick. They told me, they were like, look, you got, they're, what they're doing is, is they're tagging you along for 30 days, and then they're, they're going to they're gonna cut that contact off, and <clears throat> you're never going to see Brittany again. And I'm like, nah, I didn't believe him. Jason had faith in the deal he had struck. And so I decided not to... Uh, follow through with the uh, contesting the annulment. And <laughs> so, like, literally the next day after, like, the 30 days was up, I remember 
trying to call the number that I'd had for Britney, and it it was like bomb, bomb, bomb. I'm like, fuck, they they got me, you motherfuckers. So that was it. So that was it. The Britney Corporation had won. Britney and Jason were done. We got a look at the annulment paperwork. Here's what it says. Plaintiff Spears lacked understanding of her action to the extent that she was incapable of agreeing to the marriage. There it is. The idea that Brittany was incapable of being trusted with her own decisions. It's eerie seeing it written out like this in 2004, years before a conservatorship was put in place. To us, though, it seems like Brittany knew what she was doing. She may have done something impulsive, but she had a reason for it. Here she is talking about her decision with Matt Lauer. I was on the road for a while, and again, I was doing a lot of what I was told instead of what I wanted to really do, and I didn't know how to break out of that. So in my young mind, I'm like, I'm going to just get married to someone of my home friends. This interview was two years after the wedding, in 2006, and Brittany stuck to her guns. But I have no regrets with anything. Look, we're not saying that marrying someone during a Vegas bender is the best idea. Who knows what would have happened if Jason and Brittany stayed together past that weekend. But if it was a mistake, wasn't it Brittany's right to find that out? Isn't that what being in your 20s is? I mean, aren't you supposed to be learning life's greatest lessons, such as don't marry a guy with a goatee? When we met up with Jason in person, he seemed like he was genuine. The story he told us seemed to come from the heart, as did his love for Brittany. But like so many people in Brittany's circle, Jason has given us plenty of reasons not to trust him. Jason has a troubling record. He was arrested for domestic abuse in 2015 and had a restraining order issued against him. Months after our interview with him, our Brittany Google alerts went off because Jason was spotted at the Capitol insurrection in D.C., He said on social media that he stayed outside and didn't breach the Capitol building. But, I mean, pretty upsetting news to find out. We'd been in a hotel room with this dude. We asked Jason for comment about this, and he never got back to us. In making this podcast, sometimes we feel like we've kind of lifted up a rock and a bunch of creatures have scurried out. There's a lot of darkness and questionable motives. And it makes the truth about Britney's situation feel all the more elusive. It makes us wonder, who can we believe in this story? That's a question that we'll be returning to a lot in this series. In the aftermath of the Vegas wedding, it was like the media wanted Britney to grovel, to apologize for her mistake. But she proudly stood by her choice. Britney was going to keep doing things unapologetically, in her own way. And never was this more clear than when she entered a relationship just three months later with one backup dancer slash DJ slash rapper by the name of Kevin Earl Federline. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, The title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast. 
where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Here you are. BPM's high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. This is the theme song for Britney's reality show, Chaotic. The song is clearly a jam, but sadly never made it to the top 40. The show, Chaotic, aired on UPN in spring 2005 and featured Britney behind the scenes as she toured, traveled, and expressed her random thoughts. It was raw. It felt real. It had a bare-bones crew. Britney takes the camera into her own hands sometimes, as does the new man in her life, K-Fed. Here he is talking about meeting Britney in a nightclub. You know, it was just a regular night. You know, just like any other night that you go out and didn't expect anything, Brittany was there. He just seemed not phased by anything, and just his whole vibe was really sexy. I like that. She wound up dancing with me that night for a couple of minutes, maybe. Seconds, maybe. And I don't know. Magic happened. Chaotic is like a fever dream of these two people that are madly in lust. They're constantly smoking cigarettes, coming home from the club at 4 a.m., giving confessionals and night vision. They talk about how deep their relationship is. The show feels like a rare window into the true Britney. And Britney is pretty candid and chaotic about the toll being a megastar is taking on her. She complains about working too much and says she's over the expectations that have been placed on her. I was on the road for a while, and whoever scheduled my tour must have been out of their mind. I was doing way too much stuff. Um, I was over it. Chaotic also showcases Britney's signature dorky side. Have you ever had Butterbean? I I don't know. What? Uh. Dude, we're going to do clips of you burping. Because I've got like 20 of them. Okay. Tess and I have watched all five riveting episodes of Chaotic many times. And one thing we've really noticed is there doesn't seem to be anyone there making sure the Britney brand is staying polished. We know that at the time, things between Britney and her manager, Larry Rudolph, are tense. He reportedly doesn't approve of the relationship with Kevin. But Britney's in her early 20s. She seems to want to do what most of us want to do at that age. Party and find herself. Find a man. Find love. 
Something happened that we didn't have control over, you know? She has everything that I've ever hoped for in a woman. Everything. Sweet, kind-hearted, down-to-earth. She's proud of what we are together. I mean, we talk to each other and it's like we're one. It's instant and it takes over your whole body. I found myself me. Once again, Brittany moves quickly. On a long flight, she and Kevin help themselves to bottomless mimosas. And by the time their private jet has landed, the two of them have something new to cheers. Brittany has proposed to Kevin. The last episode of Chaotic features their surprise wedding. Brittany and KFED invite 30 of their closest friends and family to what they call an engagement party. Upon arrival, guests are handed an invitation to the wedding they're currently at. Everyone quickly gets on board. Everyone except the father of the bride, Jamie. He is not amused by the surprise. He looked at me, he was like, oh, that changes everything. He turned around and walked off. Don't do that. Don't do that shit to me, he says. But despite Jamie's initial misgivings, he does walk Brittany down the aisle. The guests see uncrowded around Brittany and Kevin as they exchange their vows. And we cannot mention this wedding without mentioning the outfit change. At the reception, the bridesmaids slip into pink, juicy couture tracksuits with the word maids on the back. The guys wear white tracksuits with pimps on theirs. Kevin's jacket reads, The Pimp. Brittany's reads, Mrs. Federline. Just, mm, chef's kiss. A few short months after that blessed day, Mr. and Mrs. Federline had a new announcement. They were expecting. They had their first son, Sean Preston, in 2005. Then came Jaden, almost exactly a year later. It should have been a blissful time for Brittany and Kevin. But the 20-something newlyweds soon ran into trouble. The clubbing lifestyle that brought them together ended up tearing them apart. K-Fed, with his newfound fame as Britney Spears' husband, was treated like a celebrity. And he partied like one, too. Britney's dream was to be happily married with kids. But two months after their youngest son, Jaden, was born, and just two years after saying, I do, Britney filed for divorce. The date was commemorated by the host of the daytime talk show, The View. It's the biggest news in the country, ladies and gentlemen. Britney Spears is leaving k Here, Rosie O'Donnell is absolutely overjoyed as she hypes up the studio audience into cheering for the divorce. I mean, it was a common sentiment, honestly. A lot of people viewed K-Fed as a hanger-on who just got lucky. They were glad to see him go. Unfortunately, though, this situation was about more than Britney and K-Fed. There were kids involved. Soon after the divorce petition came the ugly custody battle. Brittany and Kevin both wanted the kids full-time, and neither wanted to budge. This was 2006, and Britney Spears couldn't so much as walk outside without paparazzi mobbing her. Helicopters would circle her house in Malibu. Having kids made this even worse, because now the media could question her child-rearing. Every day it was something different. Bloggers would call Britney a bad mom. They'd accuse her of making her babies cry. As if babies aren't known for crying. Perez Hilton was one of those bloggers that ran many of these stories. 
a lot of Perez's Britney posts were straight-up harassment. He called her unfitney, as in an unfit mom. He made disparaging remarks about her toddler's looks. He wrote articles with titles like, Take Her Babies Away! All in a day's work, I guess. She is, by far, the person or thing that I've spoken about the most over the last 17 years of blogging. This is Perez. We promised him we'd let you know he also has a podcast, the Perez Hilton Podcast. But most of us know him from the website he started in 2005, PerezHilton.com. I discovered the world of blogging. And I said, well, that seems easy. Let me try it. I knew right away I just wanted to talk about celebrities. When I was just out of college and trying to pass the time at the million temp jobs I had, I was always checking Perez's site. Oh, yes. This was right before Tess and I met, and I like to imagine us kindred spirits, both of us in our temp offices, one tab open to Perez, one open to the dick jokes that we're working on, and one on the actual work that we should be doing. Apologies to my former temporary employers. The thing about Perez's site is that while much of it was definitely in poor taste, it offered instant gratification. It was as though every time you went to check the fridge, there was something new to snack on. And it was more immediate than the tabloids. Thanks to the internet and social media, as soon as something happened, you could see it in real time. This celebrity talking smack about that other celebrity and uh, that one celebrity getting turned away from the club. There was always a new post where you could read the tea on Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie's latest spat. You could see what nickname Perez had chosen today for Amy Winehouse. Wino and Crackhouse were among his favorites. Perez's signature move was hastily marking up paparazzi photos in Microsoft Paint. He liked to draw white dots near people's noses to indicate cocaine use. Or sometimes he'd simply just write the word loser above their heads. Looking back, this was the beginning of my addiction to constant updates. I can draw a direct line from scrolling Twitter to scrolling Perez posts back in the day. And of course, many of those posts revolved around our gal. The thing about Britney is it's she defies the norm. Last year, the year before that, the year before that. Headlines after headlines. Like there is just still so much interest in her and news that comes out of her life. The Britney making headlines when Perez was first starting out was kind of a new version of Britney. Gone was the airbrushed Pepsi ad. This Britney was constantly stepping out with her bra showing and rips in her tights. She wore giant shades and perpetually had the vibe of someone on a walk of shame. She seemed to be kind of defiant, refusing to change her life just because people were obsessed with how she lived it. Here's Britney again in that Matt Lauer interview we heard from earlier. I don't allow anybody to change me. I still walk out of my house in rollers and I take walks. I do not care what people think. And I think that's the thing why they keep on talking is because they know they can't touch me. So you have a little bit of a blank you attitude about it now. Yeah, basically. Britney did have a fuck you attitude. And that's what I couldn't look away from. Even though everyone else tore her apart for her love of gas station snacks and her barefoot aesthetic, these things inspired a kind of admiration in me. She refused to conform to what people expected of her. Really? 
This is when I doubled down as a Britney fan. I found myself constantly compelled to stick up for Britney. She was now an underdog, and I was on her team. Unfortunately, when I look back at reading all those horrible things Perez and others wrote, at the time it didn't even sink in how awful it was. Because it was happening so often. Like, I'm sure I knew on some level it was wrong, but it scratched some kind of terrible itch that I think a lot of us have. We love a window into other people's drama, and Perez was stirring that up on the daily, whether the subjects wanted him to or not. And look, a lot of people lately are re-examining Britney's story and making a list of who owes her an apology. Perez is on that list, and he says he's a changed man. Yeah, I mean, back in the day, I used to doodle inappropriate things and give people nasty nicknames, and I don't do those things anymore. And at the time, I just thought it was juvenile and silly and fun. And the, and I talk about this a lot with my therapist. Many to most people, most people will continue to forever judge me for the things that I said and did in my 20s. Mm, like Britney Spears <laughs> in her 20s. Yeah, and mistakes that I made at that time. Perez has been making apologies like this in interviews for well over a decade. In the wake of Britney's public testimony, he said he carried deep shame and regret over the way he treated Britney. But when we talked to him in early 2021, his remorse only extended so far. Has becoming a dad changed how you view those particular posts and those things that you said about Brittany? Most of them, and some of them, no. Not all of them. I'm not going to lie. And why is that? Because the first thing that comes to mind was that moment where she was, I think she was driving with her young son in the car on her lap. I, I regret how I talked about it. Yes. But I don't want to say, I don't want to give a blanket statement that I regret all of the posts because that'd be a lie. And I'm not going to lie. Yeah, fair enough. What would it mean for someone to call you an unfit parent? It wouldn't bother me because I choose not to let the negative opinions of strangers affect me. Because if it did, then I wouldn't be able to get out of bed every day. And, you know, then I've also just been so disliked for so long that, you know, now I'm just used to it. Is there power in having a lot of people dislike you? I wouldn't say there's power in it, but for a long time, actually, this is still the case. I would rather be disliked than ignored. Perez, by the way, is certainly still disliked by Britney's fans. A lot of the Britney army can't forgive the fact that he profited off his negative coverage of Britney. They argue his posts about her often veered into full-stop sexism and fed a narrative that Britney was damaged and beyond saving. Plus, in addition to the doodles and mean nicknames, Perez also did things like out-famous gay people before they were ready. As recently as December 2020, he was banned from TikTok for hate speech and bullying, though he denies he did either of those things on the platform. A lot of people are wanting villains from this. And I don't think it's as simple as that. A lot of people also aren't aware of everything going on. Even us right now. 
Like in a way, this too, right now, what we're doing in this moment, us creating this and everybody listening, we're exploiting Britney Spears once more. Are you guys going to reveal any new information? Unlikely. You're just going to regurgitate the past and frame it in a new light. And I agree to do your podcast. I'm here talking to you. But I'm also saying the only thing we should really be listening to is Brittany in her own words. When and if she wants to tell her story. As we've said, we recorded this conversation with Perez months before Brittany spoke out in court and did tell her own story. She said herself that she hasn't been allowed to give interviews or tell her side of things. But at the time we chatted with Perez, Brittany still hadn't spoken out publicly about the conservatorship. And we have asked ourselves many times, what's the value in us trying to tell Brittany's story? It's a fair question and something we've really wrestled with. Babs and I have been working on this story for over two years. We've thought about walking away countless times. We get worn down. Beyond our concerns about being part of the problem, pursuing this story is also sometimes scary. There's some really powerful people wrapped up in it. But every time we've thought about calling it quits, we've heard from an insider who's encouraged us to keep reporting. Here's an example. One morning I woke up to a missed call at 6 a.m. from a friend of Brittany's someone I talk to regularly, but who won't agree to do an interview. When I called them back, they told me they were worried about Brittany. They told me to keep going. Someone else who worked with Brittany for years finally emailed us back. He declined to be interviewed, but he signed off his email with this. Please tell the movement to keep pushing for Brittany. However bad they believe her situation is, I can assure them it's 100 times worse. It's been frustrating. These folks don't want to come on the record. Or sometimes they've signed non-disclosure agreements, and legally, they can't come on the record. One of these people, an ex-boyfriend of Britney's, declined to talk because of his NDA. But then he also said he wished us luck in, quote, finding and shedding light on the truth. So as much as we've agonized over whether to continue what we're doing, we get a message like that, and we have to keep going. And as morally complicated as digging into Britney's story has felt, staying silent about our findings has ultimately seemed like the worst option. And I've always had that feeling of like, you wake up one day and something tragic could happen. And is that on you? Is that on us for not speaking up? Next time on Toxic, we sit down with someone from Britney's past who is willing to talk. We'd be at our house And she would just make sure anything she was enjoying, whether it was like music, Red Bull conversation, she wanted everyone to be in on it. And we could not have made this amazing show without our amazing production team at Witness Docs. We've got senior producer Abigail Keel, producer Kevin K. Tid Tidmarsh, story editor Gianna Palmer, executive producer Camille Stanley, and head of content Peter Clowney. Don't forget Casey Holford. He's the technical director for Witness Docs. He mixed this episode and he composed the incredible original music for Toxic. 
Zoe Schwab is our researcher extraordinaire. Fact-checking by Anakwa Dwamana. Toxic was written and hosted by me, Babs Gray. And me, Tess Barker. You can find full transcripts for all of our episodes on our website, witnesspodcasts.com. Got a tip? Reach out to the show at britneypod at stitcher.com. And follow us on social at Britneyscram. We know you don't want to miss any episodes of this show, so make sure you subscribe to Toxic, the Britney Spears story in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. That way, new episodes will pop right up. Thank you. Thanks. Leave us a really nice review. Thanks. Thank you so much. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.